0: Nation.
1: providing you with the practical tools and expert knowledge to optimize your strength, health and mindset inside and out With your host Steve Katazi
0: Hey guys it is Steve here and I have a bit of a qualifier for you for this episode. Are you an employee? or an employer? And if the answer is yes to either of those, then you should be listening to this episode. Why? Well, mental health and well-being is becoming such a hot topic globally as we grapple with the consequences of this stress-inducing lifestyle that we're all leading, you know, the increasing demands from our jobs and the lack of mental downtime. And yes, your health is your job and your job only, but employers and market makers have a big role to play in how they shape societal norms, and the pressures that we face. So on a consistent thread of self optimization, we focus today's chat on the employer, and how prioritizing wellness and well being can have a profound impact to their company's performance. Because after all, happy and healthy employees produce better work, they care more for their peers, and they stay longer. So, to bring this conversation to life, I've invited Alex Hind, the CEO of Go Sweat, onto the podcast. Alex is a young entrepreneur on a mission to improve the individual's well-being by working with employers, offering a buffet-style marketplace of thousands of cool and exciting fitness activities, all available through the website gifted by the employer. It's pretty cool and it's taking off. So this discussion is gonna be broken into two parts. The first part is really getting to know Alex the man, uh, his sporting obsessed background and how he spotted a gap in the market. And then we get into the nuts and bolts of the discussion. Are employees doing enough for their staff? Their ROI justification struggles with spending more money on wellness. The fact that employees are expecting more from their employers how some companies are innovating, how they incentivize and encourage well-being practices. And the fact that well-being and better productivity, they go hand in hand. It's a very causal relationship. So guys, this is a different chat than normal. It is an interesting, important discussion. And if there's anything you want to add to it, feel free to get through to us on the Nation Facebook page or our Instagram feed. Enjoy. (music) Adaptation. We have um, an interesting cat on the podcast today. Um, just before I give you the name, let me just kind of tell you a little bit about this guy. So we've got a courageous young entrepreneur on the mics to explore with us and discuss uh, an impact he'd like to have in the fitness space. And specifically, uh, areas of improvement that he's finding in the accessibility of fitness for the general population, as well as the increase in workplace productivity employers could benefit from if they focused on wellness. This guy is a natural athlete and a self-labeled fitness nut. He, from what I understand, has been training constantly for 800 days straight, so maybe we'll dip into that a little bit. He's given up the safety of of a developing career to solve a set of problems that he thinks he can affect in his lifetime, and it's also the same guy who sank a car, which I am most intrigued about. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's a sincere pleasure and privilege to welcome on the podcast Alex Hind, CEO of Go Sweat. Welcome, Alex.
1: Hi, great to be here. It was a very, very nice introduction, and then you ruined it at the end. Um, but we can we can touch on that later. Um, I w- no, I- thank you very much. I wanted to humble you just a little bit. I think there'll be a lot more humbling going on as we kind of talk through our, our journey and what we've been doing. It's it's not quite as uh, I think courageous It's probably a little bit nice. So we can touch on lots of different points as we go through.
0: Let's do that. So Alex, um, obviously, I gave a very very short summary of where you're at today but why don't we kind of rewind the tape a little bit who is Alex maybe t- tell me a little bit about you know kind of where you grew up uh the influences you've had on your life school, in sport and how this is all kind of mashed together to become you know the man you are today
1: yeah of course so my background uh, I grew up and lived in the same area same house for pretty much the entirety of my life until a few years ago so growing up in an area that most people have never heard of called the Wirral no idea why it's got the word the in front of it but uh, the Wirral uh, kind of between Liverpool and Manchester it's a uh, it's an interesting space kind of semi-rural semi-urban and throughout my life um, maybe because I was the youngest child, maybe just because I was maybe born with a ball in my hand. I've always been playing sport, um, sometimes more successfully than others. Um, I remember a particular stint where I played hockey when I was around 10 or 11 and that did not go very well. And it was pretty much the last time I picked up a hockey stick, um, but aside from that, I've kind of gone through different periods of my life where one sport has been a particular focus and I've been good at most of them. I wouldn't say great, uh, but kind of that good level. Um, so very much from the age of kind of six or seven. Um, and I remember I used to talk about this a lot when I was younger. I I, I think I came third in the Cheshire under eight short tennis um, championships, which I was very proud of. Um, but it was my kind of informal kind of prep school years were very much focused on tennis um so at school you, you still played a bit of football a bit of rugby um but tennis was my go-to sport um as a as a kid and up until i was probably about 15 or 16 i would i would not describe myself as skinny um i think overweight would probably be more accurate um but it never really held me back in in all the different sports that i played it was always a case of i just kind of really push it and go for go for a, a everything they possibly could. And so after the kind of tennis era, if you like, uh, which I kind of slowed that down a bit more when I was 12 or 13, rugby um, in the winter and also cricket in the summer very much became of... uh, a pastime of both myself and also my parents' taxi service that they uh, very dutifully ran me around in. Um, This is alongside brother and sister who both did sport. Um, Sister more so than brother, Um, although he still thinks that he can beat me in lots of things, but frankly, it's not true.
0: Um, God, it must have been been tiring (laughs) for your parents, right? I mean, I'm, I'm a parent of two beautiful young girls, and one of them's really into swimming. And she's now training three times a week, and you know it's anti-social hours, and that alone, and we haven't even got into the competitive side of it yet. Uh, that alone is a demand. Your parents must have been run ragged chasing you Yeah,
1: I, th- I think very much so. And they're both uh, full-time doctors as well, and so it wasn't always the easiest to to organise. I remember when I was uh, ten mobile phones had just become a little bit more kind of commonplace. And I remember getting one solely for the purpose that I could then phone my parents when I'd finished playing tennis and they could come and pick me up as they just didn't have time to wait around for me to play and didn't have any friends to message or text on my fancy Nokia 3310. Um, But but it was simply a case of (laughs) phony up say, could you come and get me please? Um, But yeah, no, they, they, ferried us all around a huge amount um being the youngest i probably got the best service as as they a brother and sister kind of went off to uni and whatnot um and so i think weekends uh, as i kind of got into that rugby period uh, weekends would very much be saturday would be uh, school rugby sunday would be club rugby and then straight off to club football um in for probably about nine months of the year
0: wow and and alex i mean th- that that sounds like a pretty hectic sporting set of commitments you've got there is it was it ever a chore um what was what was the driver behind being so active was you just one of these uh ADHD kids who just can't (laughs) sit still and just needed to be doing stuff otherwise you'd drive your parents berserk or was there something more that you know you was was it competitiveness was it um you know improvement was it just the, the sheer enjoyment of moving around
1: I think ironically I was also very good at sleeping And so, although I do lots of exercise, um, I was also very, very adept at napping whenever possible. Um, so I I don't think it was inherent desire to always be doing something. I think it was more that I enjoyed sport. And I think partly because I was fairly good at most things, it was almost that sense of purpose and that sense of enjoyment to really kind of push on, um, and, and try and achieve different things when it, when it came to kind of parents being pushy, um, I think they were generally fairly relaxed. Uh, there are certain things that uh, I'd go through a period where, for example, I was kind of bored of playing cricket in the winter because it's just inside. But aside from a few little bouts of teenage stroppiness, um, I think I was more than happy to kind of run with it. Uh, and as you kind of get into that that age of 16, 17, 18, where, especially when you're playing rugby, and I was playing football quite a lot at that time as well, is your kind of physical attributes become more and more important. So it, it becomes less about the talent that you've uh, kind of been born with it. And it very much comes, especially when it comes to the physical attributes of rugby, very much a case of how much you want to put in outside of the pitch. And I think by doing that outside of the pitch with some friends, and it was really, really good fun, uh, kind of got the benefit of having, Going to the gym, kind of <clears throat> four time, four or five times a week, alongside playing rugby. I think I had training five times a week, and a couple of matches plus football training plus um, a football match, and it was it was it was really good fun. And also, you kind of could see the changes that were going on in terms of how you were performing on the pitch.
0: Would would you not say that um, football slash soccer for our American listeners <laughs> and rugby? i.e. like an american football but more aggressive <laughs> um would you not say they're opposing sports in terms of uh, you know your physique uh your af- some of the athletic attributes as well as generally your power and strength i mean i'd, I'd, I'd assume you would need to have sports specific training That would look quite different between those both both of those sports, no?
1: I think I should probably add the caveat that in football I had moved into being a goalkeeper.
0: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So
1: actually (laughs) being bigger uh was was actually quite useful. Um so um if there was a corner or if someone was on uh, kind of had run through, then having this larger individual in front of them was probably a little bit more imposing. Uh, I, I also think that Even now, actually, I still play a bit of football here and there, kind of once or twice a week, five a side or different pickup things. And actually, the kind of physical characteristics do make people kind of play a little bit differently around you. And so I think actually... It can be beneficial to to have some form of strength. I mean, if, uh, I realize this is like slightly niche, but if you've seen kind of the performance of Virgil Van Dyke for Liverpool Football Club this year, you've kind of seen how having a, a physical presence can make a big, big difference.
0: Mm. No, I'll, I'll definitely. I think you know most footballers are very slight generally, right? Because they, they need the speed and because it being so yeah. endurance-based, they end up just catabolizing a lot of their muscle, and developing just their legs. Uh, but yeah, if you, you think about defence, uh, you think yeah, you think about the kind of back line, um, a bit of size goes a long way, right? So I could, I could see that connection. That makes sense.
1: Yeah, and I think um, I actually did play American football for a year as well. Uh, and I think the, the the combination of rugby and also being a goalkeeper helped me in that field quite significantly.
0: So you've you've played loads of different sports, and we're gonna we're gonna kind of fast forward a little bit. I think that's still a theme of your life. Is that right?
1: Alex? Yeah, very much so. Uh, I think sports always been very very fundamental. There was a there was a period after uni when I went onto a, a, a grad scheme that I'd say was probably my least active time, and I think that was possibly part of the reason that towards the end of that process i didn't enjoy it a huge amount is it it did take over to the detriment of other things
0: yeah I, I can imagine that i mean myself i've never never been athletically gifted in any given sport and i never committed to one thing or another so um i i enjoyed being physical but i couldn't apply it to a specific sport cuz I, I didn't go seeking it um but when i went into the full tilt career mode everything took a back seat and most organizations uh, don't do enough to promote being physical being active and the benefits that can provide their company we're going to get into that in a little bit actually and I'm guessing that might have been a bit of a dovetail for you so as as you spoke about your post uni um, work scheme that you were in I think you was working at Audi was that right?
1: Yeah, correct. Yeah, I did that graduate scheme for uh, just under two years.
0: Okay, and that that was kind of paint um, paving a path for you to take on managerial responsibilities. Is that right?
1: Yeah, so it's a it's a kind of a very specific scheme, and the whole idea is that within six to twelve months, you're basically capable of running uh, three supermarkets with a turnover of about four million pounds or kind of five or six million dollars each year uh, each month sorry and so it's a, it's a huge amount of responsibility and the whole process is designed to streamline so that you are in a position whereby you are capable of managing that so it starts off with very much a case of chucking you at the deep end and so a bit like taking your uh, your kids to swimming if they can't do it then at least in that case you can drag them out whereas with Aldi if you can't swim, then unfortunately you're one of the 85% of people so that gets sacked within the first six months. And so it's it's a very, very brutal setup. They chuck you in, you're managing a store after six weeks. So fresh out of uni, no real work experience and a few things here and there, but no specific work experience. And you're basically chucked in and you're managing a store after six weeks. So that's a team of 45 people, some of which have been there for 20 years, some of them have been, obviously been there for a lot less. However, you're in charge of making sure that that store runs in a functional way. So if things are off the shelf, if you've run out of certain things, then ultimately it's your fault because you're in charge of everything that's going on. It was a really, really good graduate scheme and they they pay you very, very well. However, it became it came to a point where it was sacrificial to continue doing that when the learning curve had petered out. I think maybe that's part of the reason that with sport... Um, I've kind of flitted between three or four different ones. It's that once you kind of get to a certain point, unless you're kind of pushing yourselves beyond into the next stage. So whether that's in sport, if that's getting professional or whether in a job, if that's getting a promotion, it didn't become apparent, it didn't. It wasn't apparent that I was going to be in a position whereby um, given the, the process that they work by, that I was going to learn much for three years. And then after five years, you're pretty much guaranteed a promotion. And so although it was a a very intensive scheme, it was really designed so that you could functionally manage a team of 120 or so. Once that learning curve stopped, it was simply a a case of figuring out what was going to be next. Um, And part of the role was going around different stores and looking after um, three or four stores for a couple of weeks at a time. Now, that kind of stemmed the, the thought process around, well, if I can access a hotel really, really simply, or if I'm given a set budget for you know, £70 a night, then that's really easy to do. But when I actually came to those different locations, trying to find something then to be active, virtually impossible, It was just a huge, huge barrier to entry that I couldn't quite understand why there was such a barrier.
0: Okay. Okay. So I'm, I'm starting to get the, the, the essence of Where sweat starting to creep into your life. So just let's unpick that a little bit more. You're obviously incredibly active, uh, and varied in your kind of sporting interests. You then get, get thrown into the deep end of a, a career that, uh, has promise but requires the pendulum to swing, swing in favor of you going all in on that, that profession. Yeah. And I've been there. I know exactly how that feels. Um, And when that pendulum swings, some things need to drop, whether it's friends, whether it's hobbies, whether it's sport, whether it's nutrition. Talk to me about what things did drop out. You know, what were your standards that lowered as a result of going all in on, you know, learning and developing within this career?
1: I think the very first thing that went was playing rugby. So if you think that I'd been playing rugby pretty much every single Saturday for, well, during the season, so for nine months of the year, every Saturday for nine months of the year, been playing for at that stage probably 12 or 13 years. To start a job and to instantly have to stop that was, I think, probably a shock to to what I was doing, a shock to the system. And also it it stopped me from doing other forms of training alongside that. And so, for example, if you're if you're working, uh, so when, when you when you start off, you're in store. So I quite often would be on a six uh, a.m. till four p.m. In reality, that meant getting in at five, and it was about an hour or so commute. So getting up at four, and quite often you'd be there till seven or eight at night. And so it it was a it was a kind of mindset of well, I can't really do much about this. This is just working life. Uh, when in reality, actually, if I'd managed that a little bit more effectively, and I'd planned and really tried to work. Um, some kind of activity into my day to day basis that it would be far more successful and I think I' probably would have been happier as an individual at that stage
0: so the uh, the rugby ceased or at least become less frequent did, it completely ceased it completely ceased did did you did you keep active generally were you were you finding means across the course of the week or the month just to keep your finger on the pulse or did you find a a fairly drastic drop off on your physical activity just to start
1: with the winter in the the kind of six month training period if you like it was actually okay now that was that was primarily because if you're working for example if you're in charge of that store and you're the first one in there you've got to put the stock out and so actually it's a very 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 active job for for certain periods okay However, as you move kind of beyond that, that person that's looking after the stock and look and step into the kind of the management of the store, that was far more static. It was more office based. And, and by the end of that 18 month, two year period, it was completely office based. And so I think what happened was, although it was quite active to start with and I could kind of almost afford if you like to drop doing other things because it was a, a huge kind of physical workout each day. As that became more and more managerial and more and more office based, there wasn't really a replacement for that. So I'd probably end up um, at that stage. I predominantly just, was just going to the gym. Um, I think again, that's probably part of the reason that I stopped because it becomes quite monotonous unless you're in a you're in a routine. And so, rather than replacing that physical activity that was part of the job, it just I just started going to the gym, kind of once or twice a week max, which for me was a, a huge drop off.
0: And how did, how did you feel with that, Alex? I mean, it, it sounds like you almost define yourself uh, through your sport uh, and, and, and general kind of activity. Not having that, did, did you notice the difference both emotionally, mentally, from a productivity standpoint, or was you not really aware that changes might have been happening?
1: Um, I think some of the time, yes. It kind of depended what was going on at work to a certain extent. Um, And I think this is partly, again, helped frame how exactly Ghostwet works. And obviously we'll touch on that later. But for, for certain periods, if it's a very specific project, then I'd basically be shipped in would be running a handful of stores for for two or three weeks and that was that was okay because the work was quite fixed however when you got back to your hotel or the the airbnb or whatever you're staying in i i was kind of itching to do something at that point because otherwise get back at kind of seven half seven and i'm otherwise just sat in this this place and in effect had to watch tv and and really i think the the impacts on my mindset and probably helping me to speed up the decision to leave was was massively impacted by that
0: mm. i've i've um, been a, a frequent flyer and a bit of a road warrior for the last five to six <laughs> years so i know that how how difficult it is like you know when you hear people say you know I, I wake up at a certain time, I've got this fixed routine, I can get myself to the gym by this time, I'm done by this time, I then go and have a lunch at this spot, just around the corner from the office, and then I'm out by wide time on the way home. And And it all just sounds picture perfect. Now, I know no one's life operates with that kind of fixed certainty. But when you're on the road, or when you're moving around a lot, and you're staying in hotels, it's, it's incredibly difficult, because you've got the lure of, hey, well, if you're away from home, you may as well have a takeout or you may as well have, yeah. you know, room service. Right. And then, you know, as you say, finding facilities that are going to give you what you need and you think, well, no point of starting a program, a training program. If I'm not certain, one, I can do it and two, the equipment will be available. So it just so there's so much uncertainty and threading yeah, just, that needle is difficult, especially if absolutely. you're moving around a lot.
1: Yeah, traveling is so, so difficult. I think some of the, again, we'll touch on this later, but some of the the days around kind of Go Sweat 365 and what we've been doing there, some of the hardest days are traveling. However, a lot of of what I as an individual were doing for about six months or so last year was basically bouncing from meeting to meeting to meeting to meeting. And had I, one, not been doing (coughs) Go Sweat 365 and had I, two... And not had access to go sweat as a platform it would have been incredibly more challenging to actually be able to keep active even just traveling in and out of london um, or in it just around london um, having to arrange a diary so that i could if i had a meeting at nine i thought great i'll see what's going on nearby and i can go and book that whereas i know for a fact if, if i wasn't aware of go sweat or I wasn't an active user of it i would have said oh well i haven't got time because i've got a meeting at nine o'clock it's so now I've had that kind of complete switch of mindset of, well, this thing is going on, I'm going to work something around that because life goes on and you have to sometimes figure out when exactly you can you can fit, fit in activity. And so for example, uh, when I was going on holiday last year to Greece, we had a flight at, I think it was about nine o'clock in the morning. So obviously you've got to be at the airport depending on on when your girlfriend wants to be there which is generally about three hours before <laughs> um so realistically has to be the airport kind of seven if, if you're being reasonable it takes an hour or so to get there and so i remember on that day i i realized that yeah it's a five or six hour flight so it's not too bad but the last thing you want to do after you've been traveling for in effects by the time you've kind of faffed around either end is about 10 hours is to then do exercise and so that day i just got up at half four went for a run and then just kicked off and, and went to the airport 45 minutes later and again it's it's having that slight mindset switch although running for me is is fairly monotonous and boring it was it was something that that day was was an option and it it worked really well and it's it's just having that mindset sometimes of just doing something
0: yeah, I think you've you've conned on to the fact that uh, you know moving and being physical just brings you so much goodness, right? And why would you yeah. why would you not want that, right? And then you change from I'll do it if I can to how can I do it, and that shift, that shift, that small shift in how you how you think about exercise, I know for me, has transformed my focus on it at all, uh, on it completely. And I think this is a great segue to really exploring the gap i guess you're describing so how did it come about that you left your career and i guess jumped straight into ghostwrite what what was you seeing either in yourself or the people you were managing or your your staff the people you were working with that made you think actually there's something missing here i can help
1: i think it was a, it was a whole variety of personal and market conditions and situation so if we think about how we interact with a lot of industries now, marketplaces have taken over a huge number of them. So travel, of course, there's there's huge Trivago, TripAdvisor, Expedia, all the, the booking.com, there's kind of an endless list. Um, if you look at even beauty treatments now, you've got websites such as TreatWell um, or Wahandu, as it's called in some countries. If you look at cars, there's a, a car marketplace called CarWow. If you look at all of these huge number of different, Um, fairly important sectors when it comes to people's lives. Marketplaces have made accessibility so, so simple. But for me, I just didn't feel like sport and fitness was a market that was accessible. And so trying to figure out exactly how it could be accessible um, and trying to figure out a way that it could be accessible for a diverse group of people rather than just one really specific niche was something that, as we were, and I say we, so it was myself and one of the co-founders, Steph, um, who were both doing the algae stream. as we were kind of coming towards the end of that process, uh, and both knew full well that this was not going to be something that we were either of us were going to continue, started to research this space more and more and, and started to try and understand a little bit about how this market worked, how people interact with sport and fitness, and why certain people simply didn't interact. And spent quite a hefty amount of time once we kind of finished up with Aldi. Um, so Steph got another job working for a government charity called the National Citizenship Service. And I basically dived full time into it. It was actually called at that time as a temporary, it was called Go and Sweat, which is a it's just a name, it's absolutely abysmal. Um, but it was it was almost a placeholder just so that it gave us some confidence that we could we could both start researching the space more and more and so coming into the whole startup world completely afresh with absolutely zero understanding of anything so i didn't really understand what a startup was i didn't know what investment was i didn't know kind of agile or lean or any of these different buzzwords that people just chuck around willy-nilly now knew nothing and simply just started trying to understand the ecosystem and trying to understand how exactly we could hopefully make sport fitness accessible to anyone whenever they are whenever they want to do it whoever they are whatever
0: they want to do okay and so you saw an opportunity to effectively create a marketplace um being the interface between a consumer and the variety of sports and fitness facilities out there yeah do you want that was to just, a just basic
1: concept <laughs> and and
0: and how what made you think that you could achieve what seems like a fairly lofty goal of getting yourself in between uh, relationships that are for you know whether that whether they are uh, dysfunctional or not these relationships between consumer and leisure center consumer and tennis facility consumer and uh, gym whatever you want to call it these have been going on for decades what made you think uh, there was an appetite from both ends to put someone in the middle?
1: It was probably positive naivety. Okay. So it was simply a case of, I think this will work, or we think this will work, so let's try and make it work. And again, it slightly comes back to market conditions and the way that, so if we rewind when we started this two and a half years ago or so, so many industries were just going through such monumental change. There was all these new concepts coming out. Uber was kind of exploding across London. Deliverer had been around for a couple of years. And it was kind of just that sense of, well, someone's going to do this. And we think that it, it should be us. And so why not just give it a go? Um, it, it, you should also say that at Aldi, they pay you very, very well. And as both of us knew that we weren't going to be sticking around for too long, uh, moved back in with parents, and saved up—not um, a not a huge amount—and actually, in the end, we spent uh, about twenty thousand pounds in total across kind of eighteen months or so pre-investment or development. So, not not a huge amount of money in business terms, but for us, it was a, a massive investment. However, I, I very much had the mindset: well, someone's going to do this, so it should be us, and. If this fails, then ultimately, what have we lost? Maybe a year or two of career progression. But other than that, no family, um, no, no dependables, nothing to really to lose. So why not just give it a go and, and see what happens?
0: I love it. I love it. I love these stories. So let's carry this going. So you 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 saw the market opportunity. You had a little bit of uh, money stashed away that you can put to, put to work. Um, if we fast forward to what Ghost Sweat is today, why don't you just explain, because I think we've been holding this out in anticipation for quite a while, <laughs> explain to the audience what it is, and then help me understand how you got there. And I'm sure there's an evolution beyond today. But how did you get to where it is today? And what is it today?
1: Yeah, hopefully there's there's lots of evolution to come. Uh, but as we currently stand, uh, Sweat offers an alternative to the outdated corporate gym membership that also rewards employees for staying active. And so what we've done is we've created a platform with around a 1,000 or so different venues offering circa 3,000 weekly op- options for ways that each individual can find something they want to do and that can be active. Now, since the original conception of we want a marketplace where you can do everything and book anything you want, we've kind of realized that, well, that's not all that possible right now. And so the predominant, um, kind of, uh, offers on the on the platform are generally kind of time-based specific activities so a lot of them are fitness classes however it's not just the boutique ones that appeal to the already quite active people it's everything across the scope so including things like tai chi and meditation at the park or gentle yoga in your local church hall all the way up to those latest spinning classes that millennials just absolutely adore right now and so from an from an employer side it offers something that appeals to a much greater proportion of the workforce than your classic here's a gym membership or we'll we'll subsidize your gym membership so it's trying to democratize access to as many different sport fitness opportunities as we can
0: okay and it's a it's it's a app or a a website that sits in between me the consumer or the employee and and a wealth of facilities out there. And I I I choose based on time, date and type of activity and it kind of guides me down a path of things to select. Is that roughly the user experience?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So you simply search for, let's say you've got access to it as a company. You simply search for what you want to do and where and then you can filter it to find something on the day that suits you or the budget that you think is best suited. And then if your company... It's really investing in your well-being. They'll give you a certain amount of credit to use on the platform. And then you can say, great, I fancy doing this on a Monday morning. Or you say to your colleague who's sat next to you, should we try yoga tomorrow for the first time? It really is. The, The use cases are so diverse simply because everyone is an individual. And so the way that people interact with the product varies a huge amount.
0: Obviously, that's current. That's what you have today. Uh, and you said it's mostly time-based activity, so I can imagine facilities that have, you know, a, a scheduling app or a scheduling interface into their services, uh, but they're leveraging effectively your free marketing yeah, to absolutely. fill out fill spots that they can't. Right, and I think it's a beautiful model of you know making sure there's no wastage and that people get to find new things. And you're not tied to one facility. I think that's probably the the biggie yeah. for the consumer. Is I don't need a you know I don't need a two hundred pound gym membership for said CrossFit facility, but instead I can <laughs> gain access to uh, all of these things almost buffet style without signing up to long subscriptions or big hefty monthly uh, payments.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and also the if you think about the the gym industry classically, it has always had that reputation of sign up in January and then you probably won't use it by
0: March. Let's hope you're and not it, because we don't have enough space, right? <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, and absolutely what you said before is it's, it's part of the the value is it's using excess capacity. So a lot of these are different activities aren't full and so we provide a way that those companies that are running those activities or those individuals or whatever size business or, or um, setup they have, we help them market to a new group of users, um, which is fundamentally people that are coming through their company.
0: Okay. Brilliant. Brilliant. I, I think I get it. I, hopefully the audience get it too. And uh, after the show, we'll make sure we'll, we'll get them the, the, the links to the site. So let's talk a bit about employee wellbeing. So that seems to have been the theme of discussion. I guess it was through your own lack of well-being uh, and seeing the opportunity. But why why employee well-being? Why did you not just make this a B2C endeavour and exclude this idea of engaging with employees and selling to them? Why not just sell straight to me? What was the reason of including employees in the mix? I think it was, it was,
1: again, it was a combination of seeing that there's a very, very, very obvious gap and also the market conditions again. So if we think about how your classic online business has grown in the past few years, um, and there's been lots of companies that kind of fallen uh, into this trap of, well, once I've raised some money, I'll just chuck it all into Facebook advertising or pay-per-click and it'll work because people will, will come through, they'll make a purchase and then they'll come back again. Well, actually that market has become incredibly... Um, overpopulated and the cost of acquisition has simply become monumentally high. So couple both the fact that the market conditions for a B2C um, system are a little bit more challenging, added to the fact that actually employee well-being has become such a hot topic over the past 18 months. And I don't think it's going anywhere because people haven't really found solutions that have long-term impact. Um, and it was, it was those two combinations and the realization that actually when I was back at Aldi, if i had access to this kind of thing it would have been absolutely brilliant and i probably would have enjoyed my time and ultimately probably would have stayed for a lot longer if i'd if i'd had that mindset where i was was still being active
0: and on the on a kind of general sense alex do you do you think that employers large and small are typically doing enough for their employees if you think about the the general stack whether it be you know, benefits, pensions, maybe a subsidized gym access, uh, maybe a kind of wellness kind of wellness is a loose word, but a wellness kind of platform where you can you can select certain activity. There's some of that. I, I hear some of that already, because I've worked at a number of firms to see that some do it better than others. I've always felt it was lip service. I've always felt it was a a way to encourage people starting employment, but they weren't necessarily um looked after and um you know these services weren't that important they were they they were lip service do do you see that or yeah explain where you think the gap is in the current landscape of employers
1: i think lip service is a very very good phrase we we quite often use the phrase ticking a box and so for some companies some still some historically and they've changed well-being and employee well-being has simply been a case of ticking a box. So if when we when we're chatting to a company and they say oh we're not interested because we offer discounted gym memberships it very much it becomes quite clear that if if they're just offering a discount to, you know, 20% off a local gym that they don't really care a huge amount about their employee well-being. Because if they truly did, then they'd look at ways of investing directly into that space so that they could make a, a true difference. Now, it's not its not always the person in charge of that. Let's say it's an HR person. It's not always it's down to them. It's also down to the culture of that company. And so if you can't show a really, really clear return of investment on um, launching a new service or new product, then some companies simply will never, ever be able to push that through their system. And I think for well-being part of the problem has been that it's not a case of you put in a hundred pounds and you'll get 500 back because it's very very difficult to measure things such as productivity yes you can measure thickness but it's it's for for kind of more skilled workforce sickness is less of a a recurring issue and so to try and measure productivity is incredibly difficult and then if you did want to measure sickness well it's going to be a longer term impact and so i think companies too often will pay lip service to it or they'll they'll organize something for a very short period of time and kind of say okay well we've done our wellness bit for this month Uh, sorry we've done our wellness bit for this year and so it's it's Things are happening, but I just think that a lot of companies are missing the mark as they're trying to improve or or trying
0: to do anything right now. I agree. I agree, I, and I think you're spot on. It isn't the HR person's sole responsibility because you know let's let's face it. If it's not being, if there isn't a the tone of looking after our people, making sure they're productive. valuing that in terms of how you evaluate your staff how you evaluate your managers then HR just pushing against a brick wall I've seen it you know HR can have some great ideas but if it's not supported by the management team in and around them it isn't going to happen especially if it costs more money (laughs) and it's taken from other activities so I can understand it's not the sole burden of HR but they do wear the weight of of showing show you know showing good form and and caring for their staff because they know that happy staff stay longer and do better work. You said something that I just wanted to key off. You said over the last 18 months, uh, you feel that there's a swelling or or an acknowledgement of employee well-being. Has anything instigated that? Has there been some new regulation or some increased focus or a report or something that's put the focus on employee well-being today than say three years ago
1: i don't think there's been one specific thing but i think there's been almost a tidal wave of acceptance of mental well-being and how much that impacts people's lives If the BBC ran an article that was based on a a huge study from, I can't remember which, but a a very large university in America, that was all about mental well-being and how physical activity related to that. The the basic outcome was if you're physically active, then you'll have two less bad mental health days on average than someone who is not physically active. And so I think there's been this, this switch of mental well-being is a thing. We all have mental well-being and actually companies have started to think a little bit more seriously about how exactly that all fits together. And generally there's four pillars, mental, physical, social and financial in terms of the the well-being structures. I think companies have started to realise that just offering a pension, just offering um, private medical insurance if you're a larger company doesn't really tick those boxes aside from doing lip service to, to what they really are and so over time as as culture um, as in popular culture has allowed that mental piece to become more important I think it's pushed towards all the different other areas of well-being and be- made it become far more acceptable and far more talked about.
0: Mm, no, I, I agree I agree I, I wonder how how long it will take for this to be a you know, a regular management weekly discussion. Because, um, you know, I've been in management roles and typically, you know, there is an element al- aligned to culture and is everyone happy? And is there politics at play? And, you know, how can we smooth over, you know, some of the cracks that are forming? You know, cultures, usually a, a talking point. How much influence a single manager or a group of managers can have is is questionable you, know, you need the whole company to want to get behind something but when it comes to wellness i would say that typically does not feature in weekly management meetings uh, you know no, where, where, where you know um peers management peers get together and talk about the business and you know what's broken what needs to be fixed so i do think there's a big 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 road ahead and lots of additional work and the focus really needs to be applied but I agree with you wholeheartedly that there does seem to be a sentimental shift in acknowledging that the workplace brings both opportunity and incredible stress and there's a lot of people exiting work what the workplace really unhappy day-to-day and when they leave jobs and generally feeling unfulfilled and without purpose without mission and feeling beaten up because especially if you're working for companies which are high demand which I have I mean it's they take everything from you now they pay you handsomely but they they want you to work your fingers to the bone and that's unproductive after a while I think
1: as well that that culture piece has become so important so if a company is working incredibly hard and in the UK there's been a couple of reports of in the in the past uh, couple of months around very well-known startups and their kind of working culture I think that news and understanding around workplace cultures is known now at a level that it's never previously been done. I think recruiters and HR departments have a very, very passionate love-hate relationship with services such as Glassdoor, as it's no longer a case of you can hide behind a high salary. Because if a comp- if you, you know, if you have a very, very poor rating or lots of people are regularly talking, then then word gets out and People won't come to your business, and I think that especially in the millennial generation, people aren't scared anymore. If they, if that culture is wrong, they leave. And they find something else, and they'll quite often will switch from that kind of classic going into the city as a graduate. Um, they'll do that for a couple of years, get a little bit of experience, and say, well, actually, although I'm getting paid fifty thousand pounds a year, I'm not really valued. And My company doesn't really care about me, and so I'm going to look for something different, even if it means taking a massive pay cut.
0: So, talk to me, Alex, about what ghost sweat is. So, how an employer could leverage ghost sweat. So, you spoke about it being uh, an interface between, you know, the employee and the facilities. How how does the employer get involved, and how do they facilitate and or encourage? activity how have you guys built that kind of um um yeah the 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 encouragement aspect into your platform and in your services
1: yeah i think that that raised a very uh challenging point around any kind of benefit is engagement so what we've done is we've kind of tried to figure out a way and it's it's by no means perfect but it's it's working quite well so far we've been trying to figure out a way whereby we can have a, a big impact from the start but not to be then become something that people kind of know about after a few months. And so what we've done with companies um, so far is generally, uh, again, it it slightly depends on their culture, but I'll say from a general point of view what we've done, um, we've done a big launch event. And so we're not talking, uh, you know, lots of boring talks or talks about, oh, we eat less be more active nothing around that and generally what we try and do is hire out a local studio space and get as many of their employees down to do either one session there or if it's a bigger company we might book that out for the whole day and it's trying to get them to try out something new it's trying to get them to engage with go sweat and then generally what we've done after that is they've kind of come back uh, we might have a a partnership with a, a healthy uh, food and drink brand. So we've got a handful that we work with and then they can kind of push out these products to people to try. They can understand a little bit about the benefits of, of having a healthy snack after um, a workout or whatever that may be that they've done. And then as they start to use GoSwear as a as an individual employee, after their first booking and they've gone to that class, we'll send them a welcome box. And so this offers an opportunity for that employee to receive something to their desk generally that again has a a couple of healthy snacks and drinks and maybe a water bottle or something along those lines. And it it gets the people talking in the office. And so although we're not trying to shift culture in any way, we're simply just trying to figure out a way that we can engage and, and Get people to see that others are being active so that over time, um, that attitude towards well being can work a little bit more. And then after that, they then get rewards after 5, 10, 15, 20 bookings. And so it, it's a case of rewarding people for being active, but also it's trying to incentivize those people who maybe only do a couple of things a month to do. Uh, to maybe only do a couple of things each month to almost try something new. So it's really, really simple to invite a friend. Um, we come in and do regular talks. We've done ones around sleep and we've done ones around the link between mental and physical well being, but they're not they're not preachy. They're designed to be a short kind of snapshot of, of trying to get across the, the surface level of these different things and so that people can actually understand what's going on a little bit more. And then over time as a relationship develops we will we'll run different events. Um, so we've for some uh, customers we've run in-house sessions and um, we're not always a huge fan of those um, simply because we don't think that they have an impact across as many people as possible but if it's a smaller company uh, and they want to do something each month then as a culture building or team building activity then that's perfect it really is a case of trying to get that drip feed of engagement over time so that people don't just drop off and forget that they have access to this really really great system
0: okay and who's who's paying for uh, me an employee going to a Tuesday night class is it is it the employee or is the employer picking up the tab?
1: kind of depends on what their budget is so it could be either or uh, we've seen the best use for it of course when the employer pays for it however what we've also seen is that actually benefits as a as a entire space relies very very heavy on people signing up for something that their company's paying for and then never making use of it and so we've we've completely cut out that lack of transparency. So uh, whoever the, the person is managing it, so let's say, for example, it's the HR manager, they can easily log in and they can see how many different classes have been booked. Not They can't see that um, that Steve's booked to do naked yoga again, mm-hmm. but what they can see is that um, 50 employees have done a class this week. And so it's group level anonymized data that shows what people um, have been doing um, and also the, the kind of days that are really, really key for that for that group of employees so it gives a little bit of insight into when people are active and then if you want to instigate further things such as talks then you know with more detail when exactly the best time to do that is alongside that if someone doesn't use their account for um three months after the launch then we let that we let the employer know we say look this person's not using it and so you can remove them for the platform if you'd like and we won't bill you for that person anymore
0: I quite like the model. Uh, so, so as a, as an employee, assuming my employer's you know bought into this, they've cancelled their subsidised subscription to the local leisure centre, they've put some money aside as a kind of monthly reoccurring wellness you know line item on their yeah. uh, on their P and L. They've attached that uh, to their office based well being, and they say to their individuals, go use this platform, find something you like at a time you want, and just go do it. And um, no obligation to that facility. Go try something new out tomorrow, and we've got we've got your back. We've got the the bill covered. I can imagine if that if that is affordable by the employer, that's a pretty cool perk for an employee. I suspect not every employee can go the whole hog and pick up the full cost of me going seven days a week.
1: No, they 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 absolutely can't. I think that the first point you said there about replacing the the subsidized gym membership. Actually, we generally position it as if they have nothing in place, then this is a great option as it works for 70, 80% of the workforce. But if you've already got people using a gym, let them carry on using it and let other employees use this as an alternative. It doesn't always have to be a case of either or. And that's, again, that comes back to trying to get past that block of lack of transparency. And so if you want to instigate this and only have budget for 20 people to do it. We'll try it with 20, see what the engagement is like and then we can roll out some more. And it's it's trying to modernize as well that kind of approach to benefits and which can be challenging as some people have been doing the same thing for a very, 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 very long time.
0: Yeah, and and let's face it, right? People go to work principally for the money. Uh you, you might like to think it's otherwise, but hey, there's a you know, I'm giving away my time and yep. some stress and my time away from all the other things I like doing for the money first. <laughs> Hopefully I'm working for a company that has a purpose and a mission that gets me excited. So that's, that's what keeps me going. Um, and then any other perks, financial or otherwise, you know, I, I put into the bank and that's, that's a nice way to encourage me to join and start. So join and stay. But the idea of this also requires effort right because the individual has got the perk, but they've got to put in all the effort <laughs> they've got to go do the classes right they've got to do the exercise they've got to com- be committed to this yeah. health uh fit or lifestyle that they're, they're signing up to so all the onus is on the employee and you absolutely can't enforce people to be fit and do x amount of hours of training a week uh, you have to encourage um and do you feel that's a A fine line do you think employees if they could they'd want to you know crack the whip a little bit more and kind of force people to be a bit more active or do they just realize that that's that's a hopeless dream and they just have to hope that individuals find it when they're ready
1: i think over time it becomes more of a, a workplace cultural shift and I think for, for us, it's too early to say that has been very successful. But what we have seen is, let's say we've launched with a company of 100 people and we've had um, 50 that have used it straight off. As those 50 have used it, they've started to invite colleagues. They've started to to bring along colleagues to do the classes with them. And so although that 50 people from the start that became 55 and then 60 and then 65 and i don't think it'll reach a hundred percent of people will use it but the the level and the percentage utilization so far has been i don't want to give a figure but substantially higher um than the classic benefit uptake has been and so over time i think if you can instinct instigate um an acceptance and a Uh, an engagement level around physical activity so let's say that could be saying you know if you want to go and do a class at lunchtime and that might take an hour and 15 minutes rather than your classic hour-long lunch then go and do it because when you come back from that class you're going to be so much more energized i kind of liken it to um and this is not actually my analogy but what one of our very first um partners actually said was that if he doesn't do exercise then for most of the day he just feels like a, a radio that's slightly out of tune and so, if you can you know, tune that radio, if you like, and then the impact on what you achieve for the rest of that day is incredibly, incredibly powerful.
0: Let's let's now let's pivot to that because that that was going to be the next question, which is that link between looking up, you know, filling your bucket up, you know, your wellness, well-being, fitness bucket up sufficiently such that you can perform right. I'm all about human performance, and I'm all about enabling myself to. Have a better day. And to do that, I've got some rituals, I've got some things I do in the morning. Training, exercise is a, a fundamental part that makes me whole and makes me more willing to it's I, I call it a keystone habit, right? If you have that habit laid down, the discipline, the commitment, the everything it takes to push against resistance gets just cascaded into every other part of your life. Plus, you're just sharper. You're more confident. You like yourself more. You know. You feel that you're doing good for yourself. There's just so, so many benefits up and down the stack that, you know, if you can get into the habit of some form of exercise or training, I think it can be life-changing, not just for the employer but for the employee and beyond that work stint. But as we talk about that connection, that connected tissue between well-being and productivity, from an employer's standpoint, like. I want to we want to perform better, we want to make more sales, we want to hit our forecast, hit our yearly numbers. Do you think companies have started to acknowledge that there's a cause and effect between wellness or lack thereof and the ability to perform as an organization?
1: Yeah, I think they've definitely started to see that that causal effect. I think it's just so difficult when a company wants a really specific number to be able to argue. You know, facts around the direct impact. Um, I had a really interesting meeting with the, the managing partner, Benefit, the CEO of a, a fairly well-known law firm in London. And he said, I get it. it fundamentally, it makes a, a huge difference and it translates so powerfully to the bottom line. But for me to then argue to the board that this is worth a, a fairly hefty investment, I can't go to them without numbers because I know that they want to say, well, how much is this going to save? And what is the return on investment? Is it five times? Is it six times? Is it 10 times? Although that he knows fundamentally that the impact is huge and it will translate into a more successful business if success is measured as at profit terms, he still can't go and argue that point because if someone wants numbers, it's just so difficult to really translate to that. And so over time, one of the things that we really, really want to achieve is is to try and understand a way that we can um, quantifiably translate a a, a kind of small but I guess substantial depending on the business side investment into well-being and how that translates into outcome um, from a, a business side but it's just so challenging because so many different factors would go into that productivity
0: oh absolutely if you just think about you know if if their complete focus which for most companies is sales revenue in a given month or a quarter you know you can look at the the funnel right? And you can start all the way from your marketing budget, flowing through to leads, qualified leads, you know, opportunities, and then the opportunity closing or, or selling cycle. So you can be fairly metric oriented in understanding what needs to come at the top of the funnel to, on average, achieve a revenue goal. To now layer in the subjective capability of an individual, and whether that's 10 or 20 percent improved how will that improve their ability to qualify leads engage with opportunities yeah. you know that is that is incredibly hard but I do believe Alex and I don't know if you spent time in this I do believe there are there are either small studies or relatively strong anecdotes coming from powerful people that manage organizations today that have been able to start pointing some metrics towards whether it be optimism and how that leads through to greater opportunity and greater sales through to better sleep and the productivity benefits uh as well as uh, you know the cause and effect of just being being well uh feeling yeah. optimal i know it's still quite fluffy but i do believe there are some studies or pieces of data you can start to pull in and hopefully you, you kind of mash them together and you've just got enough line item you know talking points of if you just if you look at look at this body of data um there is absolutely a cause and effect and you can give them a conservative number but I i, I understand your pain it is it is so subjective
1: i think that given the stage a lot of the research is in and the success we've had with companies so far If you're having to constantly resort back to facts, then you're almost fighting losing battle. It's a bit like if you're having a discussion in a bar and you kind of whip your phone out and kind of read off these different facts, then that discussion's almost dead. And so the success that we've had is if we can explain to someone who understands the benefit then that is our champion within that business. That is someone that can go and can really run with things. Now, of course, if they do get go to that same situation that I mentioned with that CEO before the managing partner, then sometimes there is a blocker there. And yes, we can send over kind of a white paper that, that outlines all these different um, all these different studies that have been done across multiple different universities and organisations and everything around that. But I think it's the same as most decisions. Emotion is more important than facts for for almost every decision that we make. And so if someone's already said no, then the, the chances of them suddenly converting when you show them the study is is generally going to be uh, quite low.
0: And I, I think for that reason, this needs to be, whether you like it or not, it has to be a top-down driven initiative. Absolutely. And I think the companies that are doing that well, they have leaders That have either found their fitness or have found illness. (laughs) And through one of one of those two things, they've acknowledged the importance of looking after themselves. You know, I've worked for some fantastic leaders who would work 70 to 90 hours a week on flights constantly, just being a complete martyr to their company. And lo and behold, get into their 60s and they're riddled with health concerns. And then upon reflection, it's then they realise they should have uh, they they should have valued they had the money they had the resource but they didn't value uh, you know rest recovery you know looking after themselves eating the right foods so I do believe if you've got a empathetic leader who gets it then then it's golden then you don't need the facts but I think there's there's going to be a lot of resistance as as HR managers and managers flow this information upstream.
1: Absolutely. And the it always comes back to like you said with that, that case of that sixteen year old is that that sixty year old is that he's kind of looked at everything and said, Oh, well I'll I'll deal with those things later, I'll deal with those things later. And I think the one of the biggest things that I've learnt around anything to do with uh, being active is that future me is not more motivated than current me. And so simply saying, Oh, I'll start that next week oh, I'll do that next month, oh, I'll do that next year well actually when next year you comes around, you're still you. And so you've got to look at something and really kind of buy into it and, and really want to do it. And if you want to do it, more 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 often than not, you can do it. If, if you have the physical capability to do something, then it's just about getting over that mental barrier. And I think that too often companies look at the whole well-being space as prevention um, as very, very unimportant because they've got all these cure systems in place. So the private medical insurance, the death and service, the life insurance, the employee assistance. They're all curing problems that you can actually help prevent if you funnel a little bit of investment away from that cure side into the prevention. Uh,
0: that you're just speaking about the healthcare service globally, <laughs> right? I mean, I think it's uh, yeah. it's absolutely the the pivot that people are starting to acknowledge, um, and maybe extending that just briefly, talking about getting productivity benefits, like when companies do understand if my if my People are rested, and they are looking after themselves. They're going to thrive in a in a state of thriving. They're going to do their best. They're going to be their best for us, for our company. Have you seen any innovative leaps in terms of activities or bonus schemes or other ways to encourage wellness that may not be go sweat? You know, just other activities in and around. Uh, the physical act of training
1: i think on the physical side not particularly uh, there's a really good company that in america called PeerFit. So that's p-e-p-e-e-r fit um, that's you know, fairly large in terms of they've, they've raised a, a fairly significant amount of money but not not huge and i think that they've they've done really great work in the physical activity space and their whole model, their whole system is about the social side of well-being. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so what, they're, what they've done really, really well is everything that they do when they go into a company to get them to be active is the social side. I think that has worked quite well for companies because if you can instigate that cultural slight shift towards... Doing activity with it with a friend or a colleague, then it can make a massive difference. Um, in other spaces, there's a company in the UK uh, called Unmind that's um, done really great work in the mental health space, and that's really just giving people access to a platform whereby they can uh, they can do small kind of mind challenges. They can they can take notes around how they're feeling, and really just try and get people to to zone out from one thing and actually and, and just put a little bit of time into this app and it works really really well and then of course people um headspace is and calm these kind of meditation apps for me it's not something that i personally resonate with um but for some people it's really really powerful
0: and i think that and that employees really, are uh, sorry employers are acknowledging the value of mindfulness practice are they
1: yeah i think they are slowly um I think with something uh, let's say a mental or meditation app, um, the capital investment is not huge, but it's, it's, it's fairly large. Um, again, it completely depends on the size of the company, what you define as large. But I think that again they are sometimes looking at it as a tick box exercise. So if they can turn around and say, well we offer physical well-being because we've got gyms and we now offer medical, um, mental well-being because we've got a meditation app done, done. And I think that if companies are simply looking at that as as well, I've ticked off two of the four kind of well-being columns or the well-being pillars, as they're kind of often referred to, then again they're just not looking at things in quite the right way. I think it's it's there's no turnkey solution that looks after well-being in a completely. Uh, unanimous, completely successful way. And I I don't think that GoSweat does that either, but I think that where we're trying to fit into this market and having the success so far, is it by offering a wide range of things and always bringing it back to the person, bring it back to that individual? So when you said at the start of very start of the podcast, you said that kind of where do you want Go Sweat to be in a certain period of time? Well, our whole thing is the individual is the only one that matters. If we can't appeal to an individual, then why, why use Go Sweat? And so everything we're doing is and it, it comes it comes to our um, our. CTN co-founders experience with machine learning. i'm not going to kind of say that we've got this crazy AI system because we don't. Um, but we're starting to put in place um kind of clever systems that enable people to find things that maybe they haven't thought about before um, and really kind of tailoring everything back to that individual person.
0: I think that's great. That is great. I mean, and just to give a personal anecdote here, Alex, and this might this might give you some uh, food for thought. I I've been a pretty high performing sales individual throughout my career commanded you know a pretty good salary an enviable salary and a, an enviable position in the company I's, uh, I've worked for but i've done that through grit and determination i've done it through you know being an a type and being passionate i've done it through a lack of sleep i've done it through just sheer belief Um, and, and youth, if, if, you know, look at it that way, I'm 37, (laughs) you know, much of my career, I I ran through my twenties and early thirties and you're invincible when you're younger, like anything works. You can grab a couple of hours sleep and just go crush it the next day. Um, I'm 37 now and that it's become more apparent and it's becoming more apparent that I'm becoming more sensitive to burning out. And more importantly, I've taken a pretty much a 180 on everything that life was about from my kind of crushing it days in corporate to what I do here at AdaptNation where I'm first. My day, my food, my exercise, my mindset activities are all centered around me because I, I, I am my sole asset for the company. Yeah. I have to be on. I have to be on 24 hours a day to deliver the expectations I think AdaptNation can deliver against. So I need to be on it. And therefore, I've I've optimized the hell out of my sleep, my nutrition, my general well-being. And the difference is like night and day. I really don't understand how I performed as well as I did in this zombie-ified, uh, completely disconnected, emotionally and mentally disconnected way I was operating, right? I had no empathy. I was. Um, frustrating to work with. I was quite prickly at times. I was so focused in on what I was doing. I was letting my my body slip. I, my energy sucked. I would fall asleep at eight o'clock at night after, after eating just because I just I was just done. And to know the difference just makes me think in retrospect, if only I played that card differently, if only I had the same belief, the same passion, the same commitment, but in concert. I really looked after my rest, my recovery, and my body. God knows what I would have done, but it would have been, would have been a more <laughs> elegant, effective, and probably more financially beneficial pursuit for me. And that's my own personal story. But I know it's it goes across the world, right? People who re- who realize what it feels like to thrive realize that they were leaving a lot, a lot yeah. on the table before then
1: yeah it's everyone has a different story in a different way that they've come to realization around different things and i think that companies have a huge huge part to play with that if you if you feel comfortable with your company and you feel comfortable they understand your your situation then you can have a very very positive relationship and and well-being is is so crucial to that relationship
0: so, the ideas I was, I was kind of just zipping around in my head, um, which I wanted to offer up, and I don't know whether it fits the ghost sweat model, is I'm thinking about ways in which you can monetarily incentivize well being because ultimately compensation drives behavior. You know, there are other things, of course, there is, but that's, that's the sacrifice we make for working hard and being committed to our company is the money we get back ultimately. So, how can we link? activity or looking after yourself with some kind of financial benefit i know there's a japanese firm maybe one or two actually that have started to link like a fitness tracker but like a a sleepness fitness tracker like a fitbit Um, and that data and if that employee because in japan they get like no sleep right (laughs) incredibly (laughs) sleep deprived but if the employee can demonstrate via data that they've been getting six hours a night might be like the minimal dose, on a consistent basis, they would get some financial compensation, a few hundred bucks, bonus, whatever it is. But it's an acknowledgement that we we see the benefit. We know the benefit of you being rested. You're going to be a nicer person to work with. You're going to be more creative. You're going to do harder work. You're going to do harder work first in the day. You're going to be a better employee. We're going to pay you for being better. And one of the, one of the ways we're going to measure your commitment to betterment and wellness is are you sleeping and now we've got yeah. we've got means of measuring that bit bit big brotherish but hey if the if the employee wants the money they'll hand over the data
1: I, yeah i think that, that big brother point's interesting because I, I was speaking to a, a benefits platform here in the uk that's that's one of the lives in the world and they hated that big brother approach mm. they just said like we don't want to be selling a, a product that's tracking what people do all day, every day. I think that that you've got to figure out what works for the majority of people in that company. So let's say if you've got a law firm, if you've got a partner that's earning you know, a million pounds or just over a million dollars, if you're incentivizing them by paying them an extra few hundred pounds, they're probably not going to notice. And so for no. them, that, that model might not work. But if you're taking, let's say, one of the people I used to work with at Aldi that was paid per hour, then if you say, um, let's say it's someone that works on till quite a lot. And if you say, well, actually, if you're active on your three days off or four days off a week if you're a shift worker, then we will incentivize you. And the difference of, you know, 50 pounds to their to their paycheck would be massive. Oh, yeah.
0: Absolutely. And it's so all relative, I, I isn't think.
1: It? Yeah, it, it is, it is very relative. And I think that sometimes companies of that in that middle ground look at a very small cash reward as too powerful when actually if you invested it in something slightly different so something memorable or something almost nice rather than an extra £37.21 on your paycheck that you probably don't notice as it fluctuates by a few pounds each month I think you've got to come up with a reward system that resonates with the type of person that you're dealing with and i think that financial rewards do have a place but i again because well-being is so individual i don't think that that financial rewards work for absolutely everyone i know in, in the uk and i think in the us there's a company called Sweatcoin coin
0: oh, wow.
1: um, that, that they've done really well and, and so they track your steps uh, in a way that they claim to be far more accurate than uh, the likes of fitbit or apple watch or whatever system you use um I think their biggest problem has been that the kind of people that track it, if they then get a reward, they don't always resonate with that reward. and if you get a couple of rewards and think, "Oh whatever I don't I don't want any of these things, then I'm gonna, probably going to stop using it because if it's purely for the reward, then if you're not engaging with that reward, then actually it's a turn off. Yeah, And so gamification of these kind of different things, it has to tap into a, a wide variety of psychology rather than just
0: one. Oh, I think, I think you've, you've said that eloquently, whether it's gamification, whether it's community, whether it's financial, uh, it might even be just rest, you know, whilst, whilst <laughs> one person, you know, wants the money someone might just want a little bit of time out like i I remember when that was that was like an option that was something floated in front of me like you you do xyz steve and we'll give you a couple of days off i'm like i don't want a couple of days off you're talking to the wrong person but as you say you kind of need a blend of these so you can match the 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 spectrum of personalities what about what about sleep then so uh, i've heard like whether it's google or or Onit.com, i know they do this but Aubrey Marcus, who's the, the founder of Onnit, he he encourages napping during the day. Like he encourages people to like go for lunch, go and have yourself a small lunch, and go go sit yourself under a tree and go sleep for half an hour. Like you're gonna come back better. And he actually does it. He'll lock himself in a room, stick his earphones in, and sleep on the floor. It sounds a bit kooky. Sounds you know I know <laughs> the UK marketplace won't support that right now. It sounds lazy. It sounds very siesta-like. But there's a lot of value in that kind of reset. Um, As you think about exercise being something you need to amp up, do more of, be more active, do you respect the need to rest and recover too?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think, again, offering sleep pods or whatever latest innovation Google kind of chucks out there. Offering those kind of things, again, worked really, really well for, for some people, but it's not a case of if you're forcing people to have a break in the afternoon or well, you're not looking at their well-being as an individual, you're simply saying, this works for me, so you've got to go and do it. And again, it's it's having that diverse offering that appeals to as many people as possible, which is incredibly difficult. Um, and Partially why a lot of employee benefits don't work that well is that they're just too tailored for a very, very specific niche. In, in terms of kind of personal rest, I think, yeah it's incredibly important um i normally get up at kind of half five six if if i'm just going into the office i might have something on in the morning so it might be earlier um but i will go to bed you know when it's when it's fit i won't go out in the same way that perhaps i used to when i was younger but that's just me as an individual i'd rather be productive on a sunday kind of catching up and getting ahead for the week but other people they might really like a blowout of the weekend and then just to lounge about all day on sunday and do nothing so again it's down to what what I guess what stage of the life you're at, but also what you as an individual want to do.
0: It's a complicated subject, isn't it?
1: It's yeah, it's it's it is. There's you know how many how many people are in the in the world now? Eight billion people, and so for eight billion people, it's it's all different.
0: So let's close on on just getting back to that moonshot. So you spoke about Ghostware really being centered around the individual, uh, and and all, you know the ways you go to market may mean going B two B, but the focus has got to be on that individual. And we spoke about that just now in terms of incentivization. You project out five years from now, right? So we're talking what 2024, bloody hell. Um, what, what, <laughs> what do you think Go Sweat's going to be then? Like what, what will it mean to people? What, what services do you hope it can expand into?
1: Our whole purpose and our whole vision is any activity, anytime, anyone. And I'd hope that in in five years' time, we're some significant way to that, and so if someone wants to do an activity, then they know full well where to find it. If someone isn't fully sure what activity they want to do, but they know where they can find something that they, they, they know where they can find something that they will want to do, and so everything that we're working towards is being that go-to place where if it's a company whether or, or if it's an individual, whatever whatever you are as as a person or wherever you work, you know that Sweat is a place that you can find things that will resonate with you as a person.
0: You want to be the Airbnb of fitness?
1: To an extent, yes, <laughs> but I feel like Airbnb has become a very, around I don't want to sound kind of cliche, but yeah. commercialized entity that doesn't really resonate with individuals in quite the same way that it used to. I mean, uh, just last month they bought a hotel chain. Yeah. And so you've got to kind of look at what they're trying to achieve. Are they just now working towards that IPO? Or are they actually still trying to connect individual people with the different options in that city? And so I think the whole vision mission thing is very easy in some ways at the early days and just gets harder and harder and harder as you as you get bigger. Um, and I always say, so if an employee says to me, you know, where do you want go sweat to be in three years time? my answer is fairly simple. If I can walk into the office on a Monday morning, a Tuesday morning, whatever day of the week it is, and see a happy, engaged, productive workforce, then I'll know that the business is doing good.
0: Cool. Well said, man. Alex, it's been, it's been a pleasure speaking with you and it's been great to have a different type of conversation on the podcast. I've enjoyed it massively and hopefully uh, the audience are enjoying it too. Um, let's just close on telling petty. Uh, letting people know where they can find uh find more about you as an individual, as well as the company. And yeah, and if there are any um how to's guides or anything to help people get started as on their journey towards, you know, being more fit and active.
1: Yeah, of course. So the website is just com. Uh, all the social media handles aside from Facebook are just at goswept. So you can kind of find us on the usual Instagram, uh, Twitter and Facebook's sweat 365 If you want to find any kind of recent content, I'd say LinkedIn is probably our go-to platform, possibly because of the space that we work in, but also as I think it's a very content-rich platform so you can really speak to people beyond the simple imagery. Um, anything you want to find out about me, uh, we've got a, a, quite a good 2 Team page on our website um, so if you simply go to website and go to the community you can find out all about us and if anyone wants to reach out to me individually nowadays it doesn't really take a genius to figure out what my email address is probably going to be um, so always feel free to reach out and I'm always happy to have a chat with anyone
0: and how did you sink your car <laughs> uh,
1: forgot about that one <laughs> uh, i wasn't gonna so, let that one go naive arrogant stupid 17 year old me was driving a couple of friends to a party uh, and we got there quicker than we expected and of course at that age you can never ever be early you have to be fashionably late and so we decided to do a little kind of detour and, and drive around so the Wirral uh, where I grew up is surrounded by water on three sides so you've got North Wales to the south and Liverpool to the north and then the Irish Sea uh, to the kind of west roughly and um, driving along went towards the beach and saw this uh, kind of just ramp going down there's no sea and I think it's very tidal uh, so it's got one of the largest tides in the UK I think possibly the second largest so I drove down there to kind of see what was going on ended up kind of traversing across to this revetment um, and those that did uh, geography at school know that revetment is in effect a seawall um mm-hmm. but a slightly less extreme angle and um, so I kind of ended up on this revetment which was getting steeper and i was thinking uh-oh the car's about to tip over <laughs> so kind of turned towards what i assumed was going to be sand as it's a beach um but because it's very, very tidal, it was just a mud pit, in effect. Um, and so the car very, very, pretty much instantly, so kind of three meters from this revetment, was just stuck in mud. Um, tried all the usual kind of fire brigade, uh, tried the, the, the all kind of different coastal services, um, tried the police, and basically because no one was in danger of life because we were about 30 meters from kind of where this ramp was or three meters from this vetment, no one's life was at danger and they all basically said, no, not interested. Kind of sort yourself out. Tried to kind of dig around and get this car free. Um and kind of after about two hours of of trying lots of different things. Uh it's pre-Google days actually. So it was we had to phone uh in the UK as a company called One One Eight One One Eight, and they used to sponsor all kinds of TV programs, and that's how we were trying to get numbers for different companies to get us out, so tow companies, etc. Um, and so drove down, um, kind of looked to my right and just saw water. And so in our kind of pushed to try and get the car out the tide had basically come in and so by the time we stepped out of the car it was already up to our ankles and then 10 minutes later all that was left of this car was this flashing light of the alarm system that was very much about to fail um and then that light disappeared um god you must have so- felt like crap uh, yes, I think that's probably a very adequate way of describing it. Uh, I think my friends thought it was possibly the greatest day of their lives, um, as did the rest of anyone else that knew me. Um, and then what perhaps made it worse was actually my sister's car, and she was at uni at the time. Oh, no. Um, and she found out <laughs> on Facebook.
0: Oh, mate. mate. Well, um, I couldn't even imagine, right? You know, I couldn't <laughs> imagine my leaving my car to just sink and disappear into the water. What a horrible feeling. Well, note to self. I'm sure there's a lesson there somewhere about revetments or something. I, I don't know, <laughs> but just generally, don't, yeah. don't be a muffet, I think, maybe. <laughs> Coastal erosion's good. <laughs> don't put revetments up. Cool, Alex. It's been an absolute pleasure. Enjoy the rest of your week and all the best for Ghostware. I can't wait to see its success.
1: Take care. Brilliant. Man. Thanks very much for having me.
0: Hey, I don't know about you, but I thought Alex was intelligent, clear minded, and had a real sense of purpose, had a real ambition. And passion for helping people improve their mental and physical health, and in turn, help increase the productivity of our nation. So, I really enjoyed having this discussion. I hope it triggered some thoughts. Maybe you're going to take them back into your company. Think about how you could step up the well being and wellness aspects of how your company goes about their business. And that just leaves me to say Adapt Nation is all about providing you with the tools and expert knowledge to help you improve and optimize your strength, health and mindset inside and out. Take care. If you enjoy this show, please leave us a 5-star review on iTunes. It really helps.
1: And of course, recommend us to any friends or family who you think might also enjoy the show. Thanks for listening. This is Adapt Nation.